three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. And we are back in the month of February, and this month we're going to be playing baseball. That feels really good to say. It is Wednesday night, February 2nd at the time of this recording. My name is Ben Milam, and as always, I am joined by my partner, Patrick McGee. Pat, how you doing? Glad to be on. We are, I guess, seven or 16 days. 16 uh, days. 16 days. And when people will be listening to this, probably fi- or it'll be 15 days or sooner. So Yeah. Oh, so close. Oh, so close. We'll touch on a few tidbits of baseball this week. But, again, next week, February 8th, I guess, is when. You mean 9th. February 9th. That's right. February 9th is when. So, February 10th is when the episode will be yes. out. Yes. The Big Bad Buzzardry Baseball Preview. We are going to hit on everything. We've already gotten some questions from a few listeners. We're going to put out a prompt for more questions, and we are gonna, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of 2022 Southern Miss Baseball because we're both pretty fired up. Uh, a couple other things to talk about today. A few realignment new, uh, pieces of news came out. We'll talk about the past week in basketball and a few little football tidbits uh, today was signing day. Not a whole lot of movement there. Obviously, we've, Southern Miss has filled most of those spots, but a few little things to talk about, and we will get to know a conference mate as always. All right, Pat, let's get right into it. Uh, the few little tidbits on realignment. You want to give us a yeah, rundown? Yeah, so uh, James Madison had their um, press conference, and I think we had talked about this um, in terms of they were – in position to make a move and announce it for yeah. everybody else because of the CAA, well, the Colonial Athletic Conference, the league they're in, they haven't really had any hoops to jump through in terms of leaving early. Yeah. Uh, so they were able to announce that today in Harrisonburg, and uh, they've already, I guess they have a, they're going to play an 11-game schedule. They're actually mm-hmm. able to uh, buy a game with MTSU. They're paying them 700000 How about that? Uh, which was very surprising that they uh, were able to do that with an FBS opponent. If we talk about a team that's, you know, basically a tra- – yeah, I mean, not basically, a transitionary FCS yes. uh, team buying a, um, you know, an FBS game is um, – that is uh, – uh, uh, maybe not unprecedented, but I can't remember. Maybe Liberty, but, you know, that's a different situation with their uh, money. Well, so, that, in that spot they had, if I'm if I'm correct, they had someone cancel on them. Yeah, or they, yeah, they had um, – they but did that game switch. Get moved. They yeah, they moved it to Missouri, right? They were scheduled to play Missouri and Murfreesboro, and they moved it to um to Columbia, kind of like what we did with uh, Nebraska mm-hmm. uh, back in 2013. But yeah, so JMU uh, announced their move, and um, no action was taken at that meeting in terms of as as it relates to USM at yeah. that meeting in Atlanta. Um, so I think it's just going to be a situation where you're going to have some further legal battles, some negotiations, some lawyering, you know. Mm-hmm. Our lawyers versus their lawyers, that kind of thing. You know, it's kind of a street fight in the trenches of uh, of legal dumb. But um, so that's what everybody's kind of watching. And then Gil did, uh, I guess, make a couple comments. Um, there he said the schedule will be out on March the first, which is something that we had talked about. Um, just based on the previous releases that the Sun Belt has done in football in terms of releasing that schedule, it would be out 
um, around that time, and that's what he said. He said it was going to yeah. be out March 1st. And then, you know, he basically was he was pretty uh, – he didn't say a whole lot about USM and the others. He just said they will be admitted on or before July 1st, 2023. But based on, um, you know, he says the schedule is going to be out on March the 1st, uh, means that all of this will be resolved within the next month. So, Yeah, and, I, and I'm – the more – that I hear of this this stuff coming out, the more I hear uh, uh, again haven't haven't really heard much at all behind the scenes, but I think I said last week that mid February end of February some somewhere around that point I feel like is that is when we will hear one way or the other because that's when you you start uh, I don't know you start working out all the details and the practicalities of it and and a lot of that is being worked out behind the scenes, but uh, yeah, we don't know what the case is. It could be to where it has already been decided. I mean, the vote happened, but like you said, uh, it, it's sort of a, it, it, what it sounds like is sort of a battle between Conference USA and, and the Sun Belt, and, or at least those three schools and uh, Conference USA. So hopefully uh, we hear very soon, because I'm a little tired of talking about Conference USA Bradley Warshower had a pretty good suggestion. If we stay in Conference USA next year, we should have a, a burning of a Conference USA flag before every before every home game. I thought that was pretty good. Um, I, I'll I'll start the GoFundMe to buy the Conference USA flags. All right, anything else on realignment before we move on, Pat? Yeah, just I agree with what you said about Conference USA. Man, I've almost tuned it out. I'm just like I'm yeah. not even really following like what the North Texas is and the FAUs are doing. I'm just like, all right, let's. Yeah, let's start talking about ULL yeah. and Georgia Southern and those type of teams. But oh, there was interesting. Somebody um, on Twitter, uh, Chiefs fan, uh, is the guy on Twitter. He's been pretty much spot on mm. in terms of he's also on like these Sun Belt message boards, and he was saying that ESPN has already or Sun Belt's already submitted a schedule to ESPN. Um, interesting. Um, so that's just kind of Twitter fodder. Um, but he's a guy. Um, he's kind of been spot on about the whole thing. So I think. I think they kind of have everything in place in terms of scheduling. They just got to work out the uh, these kind of details in terms of uh, the legal yeah. stuff. So I think that's kind of what the uh, last part of it is. Yeah, and somebody made made a good point. I, I believe it was on Twitter. I mean, the precedent is there. I think that's where that where this gets complicated. Of when schools have left Conference USA, a lot of the rules have not been enforced, and a lot of the buyouts didn't actually happen to full capacity as was in the contract. And so I'm sure that is the argument of those three schools if Conference USA is trying to hold them to, you know, whatever part of the contract and making them, you know, stay until 2023. It's, I'm sure there's this kind of push and pull of, okay, well, you didn't enforce the rules for these other schools in the last 20 years. So why would it be enforced now? Because it's, it's you know, it, it is hurting you uh, and, and you don't, you know, have the capacity to, to fill the spots like you did in the past. And so that uh, I'm, I'm sure that's a big part um, of the argument. And I would, I would be a little upset if, if these three schools ended up paying the full buyout. But whatever gets us out of Conference USA, at this point, I don't care. And I'm sure I, I, I trust Jeremy McLean. I, I think they are as good of shape as they have been financially in uh, quite some time. So I don't think that would really hurt us uh, in a big way or anything. So uh, lots to come on that. Hopefully, again, hopefully we will hear uh, very soon. And yep. ho- hopefully or- it's it's too late to to move the baseball tournament, which, again, I don't think is going to happen. Right. Uh, the last thing I will say on that is that when the other schools have lost, they, or when other schools have left, they have 
honored that 18 month um yes uh, whatever notice which is what these schools are not doing now i'm not saying that usm should honor that i think usm yeah. should leave early yeah. but i guess that is kind of the unprecedented part of it yes um, so right but they have they did not honor a lot of the other parts right, of, right, of right. the contract and so i'm sure that's part of the argument all right let's talk a little basketball uh you lost to north texas and rice both home games and you played two good halves of basketball. Unfortunately, they were spread out uh, between two games. And it really battled against North Texas. Thought you saw a, a lot of good things. Again, most of that was in the first half, and you sort of lost it at the end. And it's kind of the same story that we keep talking about. And again, we, we are trying to avoid the same talking points. But at this point, the same thing is kind of happening over and over again where you play one good half of basketball and just don't have the capacity, you know, in whatever uh, form to finish games and to really close out good teams. And I'm not sure I would call Rice a good team, uh, sort of middle of the road. I mean, 150-ish, you know, somewhere in there. So not a good team, and you lose to them by double digits, and you really lose it at the end of North Texas. Yeah, that North Texas game was interesting because um, in that first part of the game you did, I mean, for the first five minutes you were at like a 1.7 points per possession, which is really, really yeah. elite. And North yeah. Texas has a very good defense. Oh, it's yes. kind of their um, they're kind of a, kind of a Virginia style in terms of they like to slow it down, defensive oriented. So I mean, you were uh, I guess we were up 37, uh, 32 or 37, 33 one point early in the second half, and uh, you know North Texas eventually was able to come back. But I think that was um. That was a little closer than expected, I think, based yeah. on the spread. I did not think North Texas was going to beat us by 30 or something just because of the way they play. They like to slow it down. So they don't really have a yeah. lot of huge wins in terms of margin of victory. Uh, but that Rice game was disappointing where it was kind of a um, early on. It was, I guess it was 42-36 the half right. and um, kind of a little more high scoring than expected. And then uh, I guess that there was a – I forgot what the exact the score was, but we were down. It was a single-digit game and – uh, Waylon Napper went to the line, mm-hmm. had a chance to really make it, um, you know, really tight. And um, anyways, he went to the line shoot two, and he missed them both. And after that, we really just never got back in it. That was kind of the momentum, <laughs> yeah, uh, momentum killer. As much as you know, some people believe in momentum, some people don't. But that that really seemed to take the wind out of our sails um, at that point, even just within the crowd. So, um, I think that was kind of the key um, in that second game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was when we talked about Rice. That was one of those games you could have won. Oh yeah, uh, a middle of the pack team um, at home, mm-hmm. you know, with the home court advantage in college basketball. Even at Reed Green, we like to make fun of Reed Green. But um, <laughs> there was there was a point. So, uh, I don't think it's the case anymore. But a couple of years ago, USM, um, based on the like the Ken Palm last sixty games in conference in terms of like performance versus at home and performances on the road, USM had pl- was like number one in the country. Yeah, number two in the country. That. Yeah, in terms of overperformance at home versus the road with like us and Louisiana Tech were one and two. So Reed Green, it is a pretty tough place to play as much as we like to uh, make fun of it. But yeah, that was a game you, know, you play, uh, like you're saying, kind of a 100s, uh, mid-100s, kind of middle of the pack, so you say Tim at home. Yeah. You have a chance to win that and you just don't get it done. So, you know, you're not really seeing the progress that you wanted to see at this point in the year. And, you know, we just, you know, we don't want to talk in circles, but it's just, Kind of the same thing every week. We're just disappointing, and it's uh, just kind of deflating at times. So, yeah, and I think that's a good point too on the on the Napper missed free throws. Uh, 
it's it's a <laughs> I don't know if y'all can hear the cat in the background. I'm keeping my brother's cat. Uh, her name is Peaches, and she's <laughs> our latest guest on the podcast. So that's what the meowing is in the background. If you can hear that, uh, but there it's that continues the theme of there are just spots in these games where you are in it, and then you go on these. Either it's a you know a a single instance and then it sort of snowballs from there of losing momentum or it's this long stretch where you just don't you don't score on offense and you give up a lot of open shots defensively and that that happens every single game pretty much and that is that's a a big big hitch for this team and it has been throughout the schedule really is you you're in it and then you go scoreless for eight or nine minutes and you turn the basketball over and you give up a 15-1, 16-0 run as, as we have seen, especially in these last two weeks where you just you kind of shoot yourself in the foot slash shoot yourself out of it. You can't make a shot, and it's uh it's uh it's frustrating and uh, it is not improved. Like you said, uh, we are now what six and fourteen. And are not quite dead last in the conference. We're, I think, thirteenth. <laughs> Thank you, UTSA. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that, yeah, that that uh, <clears throat> that next matchup with UTSA is looming large. The battle for f- the fourteenth spot in Conference USA. Uh, but one positive that we can talk about: Jeremy McLean had an interesting tweet. Yeah, he did. I was on a, was it? I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday? It was. Uh, yeah. It was some. It looked like the like a sort of just like a meeting type letter. I uh, met met with uh, people from uh, Weir, Borner, and Allen, uh, which is an architect out of Jackson. Uh, they designed the Wellness Center uh, volleyball. Uh, they've done some work at State on uh, at baseball stadium there, Duty Noble, and then the softball stadium there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so they've done a lot of sports projects um, locally. And then uh, they also met with um, representatives from Populous, which I believe is another architect group. So that was kind of the first, um, I guess, admission public um, kind of public uh, acknowledgement. Yeah. Uh, or not, maybe that's not even the right word, but just oh. uh, in terms of letting people know, like, yeah, this is yeah, going down. Yeah, it's an down. official acknowledgement. I right. Feel like that's um, the right word. So that was um, that got people pretty excited. I got excited. No renderings. Uh, We've yet. seen those before, right? The, We've you seen know, people. Before, yeah. yeah, they they call it the Lego Seum or or whatever <laughs> it is. That's what they call it on Eagle Post. Which I, I believe Populous did those. Whenever yeah, that was, when I can't remember, but yeah, that's probably right. Um, so yeah, I, I think kind of that was kind of a pipe dream at the time. We got people all excited, and then mm. we're disappointed when that did not become reality. So I yeah. think there is. Um, you know, there's some something to be gained by not doing, uh, not displaying uh, something that uh, gets people excited, and they get, you know, disappointed. But um, yeah, yeah, that was um, that's certainly a game changer. Uh, you know, we talked about the facilities are the main thing, um, kind of bringing the program or keeping the program from reaching uh, where we want to be and being consistently competitive year in and year out. And um, so just the fact that that is in the works, hopefully some progress soon in terms of renderings and announcements and uh, whatnot. But that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to see. Yeah, and I don't know if this is, this is me reaching here, uh, but as, as we have talked about the Jay Ladner hot seat situation, I think, and maybe this is backwards, I'm not sure. Uh, let me know if it is. I think moving forward with, 
putting money into Reed Green, a project like this, to where you are hopefully going to vastly improve your basketball facilities, I think that is more added pressure on Jay Ladner. Here in, in his third year, we've talked about typically for this program, uh, at the end of a year three would be pretty early to let someone go, even with poor performance. But along with moving into a new league, you're putting money into your basketball facilities. And likely, you know, if we're right about the thing in March, you're going to ask people to put money into your basketball program. And I think if you, if you are going to create real excitement, if you are going to have any chance of people buying in to the basketball program, I think it would be really difficult with the shape that the program is in because you've not shown any semblance of progress or turning around the trajectory of the program. There's, if you, you feel like if you gave Jay Ladner another year or two, I mean, you feel like not much is going to change because you have, I mean, look at the personnel right now. Everybody's going to come back pending portal moves and, and guys transferring out, which if he, if Lightner does get another year, more than likely the roster is going to be a little bit different next year, probably a lot different. But it's not, yeah, it's not a matter of having a bunch of seniors and stuff. You're going to have a lot of the same guys, and so why would you expect improvement when there has it's been a decline? For three years, and I think facility improvements like this, I've seen some people say, "Oh, wait till you know we have some some good facilities to really put pressure on a guy because you can't blame him." But we've seen we've seen guys succeed here, we've seen guys progress the program, and it has not been a long string of success, but it has been done and it is doable, and it's not been done under Jay Ladder. So I I think that's a long way of saying I think this is another piece of the added pressure to Jay Ladder. Yeah, and I guess it depends on the timetable of uh, when they get those uh, facilities. And I mean, can he recruit to it? You know, can he tell these if sure, he's telling sure. a player like, "All right, well, you've come here. Well, maybe this will be done by twenty twenty four. Right. That's um. But yeah, um, and that is you know part of it being able to sell it to uh, recruits. Yeah. So um, you know, Doc. As much as people like to make fun of Doc, and he kind of became a meme over time. Every year, his conference record improved. Yeah. Um, when he was here, you know, he started out, I guess, maybe three and fifteen. Then he went up to four and fourteen. Then he went up to five and thirteen. Then he went to eight and ten. Then he went to, I guess, eleven and seven. That last year, when you were, um, you know, really in the hunt to um, get the automatic bid, and you got to buy in the tournament. So y- you did see that uh, progress every year with Doc, even yeah. if it was very hard to watch at times. And he inherited, you know, program on probation. Even though that, I don't think the situation Ladner inherited was great, just because that whole twenty nine, no. that twenty nineteen team basically turned over you lost everything yeah, yeah I mean you didn't you lost Griffin and Edwards and, and Don McGee but um it was just kind of Doc did show a um proof of concept event um yes. which you're not really seeing uh this far under Ladner anything else on basketball uh I think that's it you know you got the South Florida swing with FIU yeah uh Thursday <clears throat> FAU on um Saturday. FAU's having a pretty good year. They're 140 around there in Kent Palm. Yeah. Um, so that's the team, kind of middle of the pack. FIU, kind of more bottom toward kind of where we are. Yeah, um, that so. is, that's a winnable game. And if you want to have any sort of positive momentum, you really need to win that game, even yeah. though it's away from home. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's one that I think will continue to, to pile – uh, the heat on and they're already 
started to see more and more in a lot of different places of people just sort of being upset. Uh, and I, I had somebody say to me the other day, I'm just tired of not caring about basketball. And I think that is that is a large, large issue. Uh, that is, It's going to take a lot to overcome that. But I don't know. It could be a coaching staff change. It could be, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not the athletic director. Hopefully, hopefully uh, the facility improvements start moving along and, and we'll hear about that and and uh you know whether or not Jay Ladner gets another year they turn it around this year and the rest is history he becomes the best coach in Southern Miss history I, you know we don't know what's going to happen but it's uh it's not looking good right now for the basketball program let's talk about a program that has been successful and that is likely going to have another really good year is at least on paper again Full baseball episode next week, so we're just going to touch on the scrimmages that we saw last weekend. You went Saturday, I went Sunday, and Andrew Abadie with Pine Belt Sports uh, came out with an article on Friday. So, Pat, give us a quick rundown. Yeah, so just, um, yeah, so you can go to Hub City Spokes and look at Abadie's article. Um, good info in there. But kind of the highlights, he said it was kind of an offensive scrimmage. Um, Ewing went 3-3 three three with a double. Lynch had two doubles. Uh, Montenegro went 2-2 two for two with a walk. Dickerson... And uh, Casey Arteagues, true yeah. freshman from St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, they both had two hits. Uh, Sargent had a double. Uh, then Etheridge had a pretty good outing. Uh, went three innings, gave up three hits, one run. So, I mean, not elite, but, you know, pretty good. Um, you know, you only give up one run over three innings. You, you usually take that. So, um, uh, Hunter Riggins struggled a little bit. Uh, three innings pitch, gave up six, hit, uh, six hits, uh, five runs. He did have four Ks. Um, so kind of a uh, shaky start for him. Um, he's a guy, you know, we kind of expect to see in that rotation that had a uh, – he had a good fall. So um, mm-hmm. see if he can uh, have a good outing uh, this upcoming weekend. But um, then Saturday, I was at the one on uh, Saturday. So, yeah, Dickerson uh, had another good performance. He had two hits. McGillis had a, um opposite field triple uh, just over the glove of the, uh, the first baseman. In fact, it might have even – I can't remember, it might have even gone off the glove. Um, but it was hard hit ball opposite way um, right field. And uh, Tyler Stewart started, went three and two-thirds, uh, gave up two hits, walked one, struck out at least five. I missed the first two outs, um, but he had at least five Ks. So I'm um, good outing for Stewart. Um, he's a guy that worked in that uh, kind of starting role. We'll see um, if he's kind of a middle relief guy or if he's, um, you know, you see him on the weekend um, starting. And then you have Tanner Hall. He had a good outing. Uh, went three and a third. Uh, I, did I say he, he – uh, Stewart went uh, scoreless. He didn't give up any runs yeah. um, in that uh, in that outing. And then, uh, Tanner Hall went three and a third uh, innings pitch, scoreless. Uh, gave up four K – or struck out four. Um, so, good outing for uh, for him. He's another guy um, kind of in that weekend mix uh, possibly. Um, and then on uh, – our oh, yeah, uh, in relief, um, Isaiah Rhodes came in. Uh, one and a third, struck out two. Uh, Landon Harper came in uh, for an inning, uh, had two Ks, uh, hit a gal there. That was a clean inning. Uh, and then Garrett Ramsey came in, struggled a little bit, gave up three runs there in the seventh. Um, you know, he's kind of a guy we've talked about. Um, kind of an X factor in that bullpen. Could be a kind of a one-inning closer type, possibly, like he was early in 2021. Yeah. And then you have Best as kind of an Ock-style uh, long stopper, long closer. Um, so, but yeah, and then you went Sunday, so. 
I did, and I did not take notes. I kind of just sat back and took it all in. And it was great weather on Sunday. I think it was Saturday too. And um, yeah, it was a, a lot of fun. Just a few things that stood out. Um, Matt Cedarberg hit one over the scoreboard. Uh, Cedarberg's sophomore out of uh, the College of Central Florida, transferred from there. Got some real pop. Uh, I believe he's a sophomore and his utility guy can kind of play every position. And Scott Berry loves those kind of guys. Uh, Dickerson had a good day at the plate, single and a double from what I saw. I missed the first two innings, and so I didn't. I don't think I saw Dickerson's first at bat. Uh, both, I will say about about the catchers. I think we've already got a question about the catching situation. Say Blake Johnson looks good with the bat in his hands. Feels he looks more confident up there to me. And uh, had a, a couple barrels on Sunday, as well as uh, Rodrigo. I thought he moved pretty well behind the plate. Let's see, on the mound, Drew Boyd threw well. He is He's going to be hard to keep out of uh, the Sunday spot, uh, I think, or, or if you want to go right, left, right, the Saturday spot. He's thrown really well in the fall and in the spring. And if he's not in the weekend, he's he's a lock uh, for the midweek spot. I think he, he's he's thrown really well. Uh, Nico Maza looked really really good. I think we've heard Ostrander say he is really the only freshman arm that you really expect to see uh, this year. And I, th- I think it says it says a lot. It says a lot about his potential and where he's at even right now after just one fall. In college baseball, with as deep as this staff is, that he's going to come in and, and immediately uh, see time on the mound. He, he looked really good. I believe he was he was around mid nineties. I didn't see the radar gun, but had had some people uh, comment that he uh, he was in the mid nineties range and showed off the that power slider that he really leaned on in high school and that is really really good. He's he's going to get a lot of guys out with that while he's here and this year too. Uh, looks like he's gained a little weight too. And so I, I, uh, I'm excited about Nico Mazza, not just because he, he comes from my, uh, the high school <laughs> I graduated from, but I think he's, he's going to be really good. Uh, saw Waldrop for, I believe it was two innings. So not the starting spot, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, in these early spring scrimmages, it's, it's hard to really take much out of them because, you know, a lot of the time you're just – you're just throwing guys in different spots to get a feel for how they do in certain situations. And so that, that does not say that, that Hunter Waldrop is not going to be a starter, uh, but did, did think he was, I mean, he was really cranking it up. And I think coming out of the bullpen, he was just, his mindset was, okay, I'm, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have to be in this for the long run. So I'm really going to, I'm really going to put some gas on this and uh, thought he maybe was overthrowing it a little bit. And so I, it'll be interesting to see how they balance his, uh, you know, his role either out of the bullpen or the starting spot, because those are two very different things. And all he has seen is out of the bullpen, obviously last year. So uh, yeah, Sunday was great. I, I thought uh, the bats to me were further along uh, than they were last year at this time. We all remember the first, you know, month and a half of the season last year when you were one of the worst teams in the country at the plate. You were really, really bad, and, and we saw how that turned around. So, that again, it's it's hard to take much out of these scrimmages because you could say, okay, we're going to be a better team at the plate, or should right. we be, <laughs> should right. we be worried about pitching? Uh, but uh, good weekend all around. I, I thought some good things uh, were seen on on both the mound and uh, at the plate and in the field. Uh, I think you still feel really good. And, 
again, you don't have all your starters uh, nailed down. That you know, it's probably going to be a month into the season before you you see the lineup really solidify and who you see in the field. You know, come come regional time, it, it's it takes a little bit to to nail that down. Uh, so, anything else on the baseball scrimmages? Uh, yeah, uh, I went back and looked at my notes. Uh, uh, Stewart actually did give up one run. Okay, uh, but other than that, it was it was a pretty good performance. Fine. So, yeah, it'll uh, Tyler Stewart another another interesting piece to see if if he slides into the starting spot or, or stays in the back end role uh, because he's he's got the potential to be really good in both roles. All right, let's touch on some football. A few little things. To hit on again, National Signing Day, but uh, not uh, not a whole lot of movement right there. But one one piece uh, which we think, or two pieces rather, that we think are the final pieces in the puzzle. Again, <laughs> after the summer, or after the spring rather, after spring football ends, you can bring in potentially a quarterback. You can bring another yes. transfer after the spring, and that goes into all the a complicated finagling of, of scholarships where you can move them ahead and you can put different shirts on different guys. And, uh, and so um, this, this may not be the absolute last piece of uh, the class, but uh, two, two pretty good ones, I think, Ben. Yeah, we keep saying, like, this is the end of uh, – <laughs> I'm going to stop saying that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. who knows, yeah. bringing in all kind of guys. But uh, uh, Claiborne Pollard, who uh, he committed um, – not this previous Saturday, but the Saturday before that. We actually didn't talk about that. But um, he's a um, a tackle from Oak Grove, um, 84 uh, composite, or I guess 84 and a half, really. Um, so, yeah, he's a guy, another guy you put in that. Um, or I guess his, his dad played here. His dad coached here, and his brother um, played here as well yep. on the line. Uh, so, you know, strong ties to the university. Um so, but, yeah, he's another guy you put in that all, um, O-line room in that tackle with um, him, McMillan, uh, I guess uh, Matt Riles in there, um, the two, um, the Barnes twins. So yeah, the, some of those young tackles, you you got a bunch of them, bunch of them at this point. But um, and then I guess the surprise uh, today was Jordan Martin, um, an athlete. I think he primarily play, or I guess he actually played some quarterback actually at Lane Cormoran, I believe. I think huh. he's going to play receiver here. Um, but yeah, yeah, athlete yeah. from Lake Cormoran High School, um, in Desoto County. Um, so yeah, Jordan Martin. Uh, he was um, 84. Um, he does not have a composite rating, but 247 has him at 84. Um, so he's another guy in that receiver room you add um, as yeah. kind of a late uh, surprise, um, um, I guess, addition. So yeah, a lot of youth, a lot of a lot of really deep young talent in that wide receiver room. Feel pretty good about that. Uh, Bengals in the Super Bowl. Mike Thomas playing for a Super Bowl ring would be. I think the second year in a row yes, that a yep, Southern yep. Miss player get a ring on their finger, which would be that'd be pretty cool. And would also I'm also kind of pulling for the Bengals too a little bit because uh, it's a cool story. One thing on Mike Thomas, he's yeah he's primarily been a special teamer. He's played. Um, I was looking at his snap numbers. Played the majority of the special teams uh, snaps for Cincinnati. Also, he did have two um, offensive snaps uh, against the Chiefs. So I was looking on the depth chart. He's kind of like the wide receiver number four in Cincinnati primarily. They don't. Pretty much the entire time, they only do um, or I guess, pretty much every play, uh, they run three wide receiver sets. So yeah, it takes one of those uh, top three receivers, and they got a really good wide receiver trio yes, there. Yes, they do. Uh, it takes one of those top three guys to get hurt for him to really see the field. But uh, yeah, important part of that special teams for him. And then go oh, go ahead and say what you were going to say about uh, Fedora. Well, I, I, yeah, I was just going to say he's he is back in the game, and I think I heard from someone 
that said, because he's, he's sort of bounced around a little bit in these, these last three or four years, that uh, said he was he was just going to kind of retire from coaching. He wasn't going to get back into it. And I thought that was a shame because I, I, I think he is a fantastic head coach, really, really entertaining, uh, honestly, and, and enjoyed keeping up with him even when he was in those uh, coordinator roles. Um, so he is back in the USFL, the New Orleans Breakers. And there are a lot of interesting storylines that, that I think come with that. And uh, you, I, I think, tweeted one out where – in Birmingham, that it could be Larry Fedora, Kevin Sumlin, oh, a yeah, rematch yeah. of the century in the USFL. I think that'd be uh, <laughs> that'd be a heck of a matchup. Uh, but g- glad to see Coach Fedora back in the game. Yeah, and real close to uh, real close to Hattiesburg. So yeah, yeah so they're going to play all their games in Birmingham this year. Um, but starting next year, I'm, I'm guessing they'll play at Tulane. Uh, I don't think they play at the Superdome. That feels like a little little too big for the USFL. Could play at Tad Gormley. Uh, by City Park, it's not nearly as uh, kind of modernized as the Tulane Stadium is, but uh, yeah, it'll be um, yeah, it'll be cool to see uh, Fedora kind of in the region again, coaching football. So. Yeah, certainly will. And uh, one other football tidbit in terms of coaching, Austin Davis. We we all heard about him getting the OC position at Auburn. He's done really well in the NFL. I think he's he's pretty highly regarded as far as young, up-and-coming offensive uh, coaching talents. And got that OC job and is stepping out of that. And uh, on at least the article I read said he was stepping away from coaching. Don't know uh, what went on behind the scenes. I've heard you know a couple of different stories, none that were verified. But uh, unfortunate that he won't uh, be coaching at Auburn next year. Pat, any thoughts on AD? Yeah, that was just – it's kind of a weird situation, Auburn, because the D.C. Uh, Derek Mason uh, went to go coach at Oklahoma State, um, which is – you know, that's not even really considered a lateral move. I think that's considered a downward move. Yeah. Uh, just based on uh, prestige of the programs. Even though Oklahoma State's a good program. Sure. Um, they don't pay nearly as much as Auburn. They don't have the tradition or facilities and um, or, you know, conference really there's gonna be a bigger gap in the conference with Oklahoma Texas uh, leaving for the SEC so that was kind of an odd move I think most people thought and then on top of that yeah that's what made the Austin Davis news even weirder um so you're kind of having a mass exodus from that Auburn program so uh who knows if uh I don't know if he wants to get back in coaching if he does hopefully he can land on his feet somewhere um could be a situation where he's just better suited for um, the NFL, where it's kind of just purely coach. Sure. It's just kind of purely coaching. You don't have to do any of the recruiting or politicking or yeah. that kind of thing. That's just, I mean, speculation. Who knows? It could be something entirely different. All kind of rumors uh, circling around, but um, so who knows? Yeah, it's uh, that is a that is a completely different job in a lot of ways. I mean, you're kind of on the job 365 days a year, and so uh, that that could be a factor. We don't know. Um, I I feel. Pretty good about Austin Davis landing on his feet and being being successful, and I hope it's in football because I think he's he's got a brilliant offensive mind and uh, got a lot of potential in the coaching rank. So, hope to see AD back at some point. Anything else on football, Pat? We uh, I think that is it. All right, let's move on to get to know a conference mate, Pat. And this is one we've we've had two in the past two weeks that we sort of already knew about, and this is one that we have not been in a conference. With, but over the last three or four years, I think have become pretty familiar with too. Yeah, so we are not going far this week. We are going to the uh, Azalea City, uh, South Alabama. 
Um, like Ben said, a school that um, really, I mean, over the last three or four years, we've been familiar with them just in terms of, uh, you know, we kind of felt like we had a curse with them Yes. Uh, in all the sports, although women's basketball did beat them. Hopefully that does break the curse and you'll start seeing wins in the other sports against South Albert. Yeah, so they are located in um, – oh, I was saying, we, we've been familiar with them the last couple of years, um, but there is a long history of uh, playing them over the last 40, 50 years. Yes. But, yeah, so they are located in Mobile, obviously, uh, an hour and a half really from Hattiesburg there in West Mobile. So it's not even – you know, you don't have to go all the way to downtown Mobile. You go to West Mobile, which is closer to Hattiesburg. So it makes it a little bit of an easier drive. Uh, but, yeah, it was created in 1963 at the University of South Alabama, so they haven't changed their name. Uh, like a lot of these other schools that we've talked about. Uh, but, yeah, 1963, uh, Alabama legislature uh, created the school. First classes were in 1964, uh, 276 students. Uh, and then, so currently they have 14,000-plus uh, students. 64% of those are from Alabama. Their largest out-of-state market is Mississippi, which we've talked about um, in terms of the overlap in places like you know Jackson County, Pascagoula, kind of the – um, Eastern Gulf Coast, where they do actually waive a lot of that out-of-state tuition. Um, and then, of course, USM gets a lot of students from uh, Mobile, Baldwin County area. So there is overlap uh, there, which we talked about could really help a rivalry. Uh, but then uh, it gets some students from Florida, but 44% of their enrollment is from uh, those two main lower Alabama counties, Mobile and Baldwin. But uh, in terms of sports, uh, football's 12 of 14 in the five-year FPI average. They went 5-7 and seven, uh, this year with Kane Womack. Uh, started the program in 2009. They've been to one bowl. Uh, it was 2014, the Camellia Bowl. They have not had a winning season at FBS. Um, and then they are 2-0 and all time uh, against USM. Uh, sadly, hopefully that can change the next couple of years. But um, basketball, 8-14 of in the five-year Ken Palm average. Uh, played them 46 times. Uh, USM is 26-20 and in those games, so winning record. Um They've been to eight uh, NCAA tournaments. The last was in 2008. Um, and then baseball, I guess baseball's kind of their signature sport. Uh, they are 2 of 14 in the four-year Massey average, only behind USM. Uh, USM has played them 104 times. Uh, USM 38 and 66 in those games. Uh, it really wasn't until kind of the, the 90s when USM started to catch up to South Island baseball. But they're one of nine teams that USM has played over 100 times. So mm. a lot of history. Uh, baseball in that uh, midweek. And, you know, we've even played them a couple times in like a, you know, in the 2000s we'd play them in like a first or second weekend tournament in Mobile. Um, but they have been to 28 regionals all the time. That's, but they have never won a regional. They've been to more regionals than any other school that has not won one. Um, they've been a win away seven times from um, – or, or, yeah, win away from winning a regional seven times, including – uh, 2021 lost to USF on that uh, that Monday finale in Gainesville. Uh, but they are the uh, defending regular season and tournament uh, champions in the Sun Belt. So, yeah, they did have a good year this uh, last season. And they've been to three regionals um, in the last five years. Strong baseball program. We've talked about the potential for that baseball rivalry just with the competitiveness of uh, the two programs, teams making regionals. Um, and yeah, just so. Um, yeah. USM and South Al, uh, top of the Sun Belt in baseball uh, here in the past uh, four seasons or so. Um, and then I guess famous alums, uh, Bill Moody, a.k.a. Paul Bearer, he was a 90s WWE personality. Hmm. Um, he's from Mobile. He was the manager for The Undertaker, I believe. I looked it up. And um, wow. 
Uh, and then also uh, Luis Gonzalez, a longtime MLB player, hit the, uh, I guess, that bloop single against the Yankees in the 01 uh, World Series. Yeah. So, also, David Freeze went to South Valley. He hit that uh, oh, yeah. walk-off home run in that um, game game six, that 2011 uh, World Series against Texas Rangers. So. Yeah, again, South Alabama is one that we are uh, pretty familiar with, and one, and it's it's one of those schools that, you know, uh, these it's mostly state and Ole Miss people who, when they try to explain why USM has gone down, it's because <laughs> oh, it's because South Alabama started the football program, yes. and the rise of uh, schools in our region, and um, and I, I think there is partially something to that. They have, I feel like, made a big jump. Um, it's particularly in this this last decade, obviously, but I was I was just you know, thoroughly impressed when we played there in Mobile with the facilities they had there. And that, I mean, they did that stadium right. And I, I think it is a great size for them. I like, I like Kane Womack. Um, I just think, I think this is another athletic program that you, you feel really good about. I mean, the, really their facilities across the board are uh, pretty impressive. Down uh, the academics. Do just like just down like to the general university like academic facilities. Absolutely, yeah, and that yeah that the whole campus is uh, is is pretty impressive, and I think they they are moving in the right direction. I mean, it, 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 I got to call a basketball game there, and that basketball arena is is really impressive. The game atmosphere is is really great, and obviously baseball has it going and. and just to touch on basketball again, Richie Riley. I'm a big fan of Richie Riley. He has really turned them around. I think they're third in the Sun Belt right now, uh, right up there with Appalachian State and Arkansas State. Is that the? I think I, I don't know about Arkansas State, but definitely Appalachian. They're having a good year. So it is Arkansas State. Okay, okay. yeah, that's right. I, I got my score app open. Okay, yeah. So the, you're third in the Sun Belt after a pretty pretty poor year last year, and uh, and so I think you're just uh, moving in the right direction as a whole. And like you said, a natural rival, and I think that's already been established in some ways. Like you said, I think a lot of Southern Miss people are are pretty bitter that they have uh, beaten us pretty consistently in a lot of different sports, and particularly these these last two years. And when I, I think part of it too is because of that reasoning that people use for Southern Miss being down is South Alabama. And you're like, okay. Oh, yeah, you know, that's maybe a small piece of it, but then they go and beat you in everything the last two years, and uh, that's that uh, sort of adds more fodder to it a little bit. So natural rival in a lot of ways, and I think another another school you were uh, aligned with and connected with in, in a lot of different ways, and uh, I can see that that rivalry being being one of the – you know, sort of premier ones in the Sun Belt. Uh, once once you get a decade into it, I mean, you've you've already had a lot of really good competition between us and South Alabama, uh, even not being in the same conference. So, I, another one I think you're really excited about. Yeah, and um, I guess talking about that, um, I guess the past two years of football. Looking back at that 2020 game, I think that that the fact that that was South Alabama, um, and just kind of the they're kind of the face, like you've talked about, the face of these kind of startup programs <laughs> yeah. in a way that yeah. people have always said, oh, this is why USM will never be good is because South Alabama. So I think it was kind of that was the unique part of it. It was like, wow, 
we've fallen behind that even the startup programs that basically copied everything we did yeah. are beating us. So I think that was a big uh, kind of factor why Hobson was uh, pushed out yes. at that time. Um, but yeah, so, and another thing, they are a you know young university. They need to develop uh, kind of a fan base. Um, right, right. Now, I mean, they do have a better fan base than, you know, a lot of COSA schools, you know, better than the FIUs of the world. But, uh, you know, I would not say that they have a fan base comparable to, like, a ULL or, a, you know, an App State or JMU. So it no. is uh, it's still kind of a um, mobile area commuter school. Um, but hopefully that'll, um, you know, you, you kind of, it's kind of funny to say hopefully because you don't want them to get too good um, and totally surpass you. But you do want that healthy rivalry. Yeah. So hopefully they do kind of grow a little bit in terms of the fan base and uh, you can really have that uh, that uh, nice rivalry. I mean, they're a team that you very well could be playing at the end of the year every year in football or the sure. rivalry weekend. So um, it'd be nice if they can, uh, you know, grow a fan base and uh, contribute to that. So. Well, yeah, and you want uh, the conference as a whole uh, to be better. And and I think South Alabama, is, as young as they are, I think uh, has a lot of potential and a lot of potential for that to be a pretty high-quality rivalry that, you know, 10 years ago you'd be pretty upset about and might depress you a little bit. But right now and in looking ahead to the next 10 years, I think that is that could be a rivalry that you are proud of in a lot of ways, and that you look forward to every year and in the in all these sports. And so I think you can uh, be really excited about South Alabama if you're a Southern Miss fan, and and hopefully uh, get the best of them uh, in baseball this year. That is uh, another uh, big spot on the schedule as, as they have really really uh, caused us problems in uh, in baseball in the past. Yeah, so it's just funny. You talked about it's a rivalry we, we can be kind of proud of and look forward to and how that's changed and over the last 10 years. I remember if you go back and look at, like, the press release because this series that we just played, it was announced a decade ago. It was yeah. a 10-year-in-advance scheduling, which wasn't the, that – I mean, it's common now, but it was not that common at the time to schedule a game a decade out. And I remember they announced it on the day of our Thursday night opener against South Carolina, so people would kind of not really notice it and kind of mm. just kind of put it on the back burner. All right, maybe since this is our opener, uh, people are all focused on the South Carolina game instead of playing South Alabama. And then, you know, when the word broke that we're scheduled home and home in South Alabama, people are, what are we doing? We're scheduling this as the end of USM football. They're going to be the next UAB. And now we're just we're so grateful to be in a league with them. So it's just kind of funny how things change that quickly. Things, things do change rather quickly. And it is interesting, too, in this last year, you know, Kane, Kane Womack was on your list, sort of your short list, that a, a lot of people, you know, questioned when you were – uh, I guess one and eight, you know, and, and when the season was sort of at its worst this year in terms of football, oh, why didn't we hire Kane, Kane Womack? And, uh, you know, because he, at least early in the year, had had Al, uh, South Alabama uh, going pretty well and seemed to to be on track for a bowl game in five and seven, I think is, is still uh, a pretty good season um, for that program. But, you know, that is – those are two guys that are going to be going at it year in, year out uh, for the foreseeable future. So uh, it, that's another piece in the puzzle. Two guys that came in at the same time, and uh, we'll we'll be able to compare them pretty directly. So yeah. uh, that'll yeah. be really interesting to see. Uh, so there is South Alabama, South Alabama Jaguars. Now, 
Know them better than you did before. All right, that is going to wrap it up. Next week, last time, I I feel like I have said this far too many times, but maybe that uh, lets you uh, get a picture of, of how excited I really am for baseball. I'm very excited. And we are both excited about this baseball episode. It's going to be uh, pretty detailed. We're going to get into all of the details of what you need to know. Again, we're going to put out a call for questions. Hope to get your baseball questions answered next week. And we will have that out on uh, Twitter, that call for questions. So uh, be sure to keep tabs on that. We appreciate you listening. Appreciate you being with us. We will see you next time. Uh, for Patrick McGee, my name is Ben Mile. This has been Buzzer Green. This has been Buzzer Dream. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzer Dream Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.